Sports man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Monday edition of PFT PM. Memorial Day week. I was talking about this earlier on PFT Live. It's kind of a neat week. Feels kind of like a relaxed week. Three-day weekend coming up. Unofficial start of summer. Still plenty happening in the NFL, OTAs. And one thing we know about OTAs, guys do get injured. Reuben Foster, potentially serious knee injury, suffered earlier today, just minutes into his first OTA session with the team. And even though there isn't contact, you have guys moving, changing direction, moving full speed or close to it, guys can get injured. And I saw someone on Twitter say, well, I don't want to hear anything more about Odell Beckham Jr. not being at OTAs. Here's the thing. Guys who are working out on their own still can get injured. And if you get injured while working out on your own, you may be SOL when it's time to get paid. The good news for Foster is he's getting paid. If he can't play this year, he's getting his salary. If he had done that down at the YMCA playing basketball, Washington could have said, sorry, Ruben. We're not paying you. So the diagnosis for now unknown. I'm surprised no one has reported that Washington fears a torn ACL. Isn't that what we usually see by now? But Foster, a guy that Washington was banking on to make a huge difference in their defense this year, could be gone for the year. And and so starts this process of all those rosters that look great on paper potentially disintegrating and testing the depth and testing the ability to attract free agents who can come in and replace guys who go down with injury. I mean, Washington found one of its best assets last year, Adrian Peterson, after Darius Geis went down in the preseason opener. It was actually another injury after that before they called Peterson. So how you adjust, how you adapt, how you deal with the inevitability that there will be injuries. And the teams that get lucky in a given year are the teams that often end up getting to the postseason and being able to advance. And it really is luck to a certain extent. Although I always say when there's a cluster of injuries, I wonder about strength and conditioning techniques. I wonder about flexibility. I sit next to Rodney Harrison every Sunday during the regular season. He has an uncanny knack to keep an eye on nine different games and spot the potentially serious knee injury instantaneously and slam his hand into my chest and go, ooh! And we watch it back, and these guys get pretzeled. And a lot of them get up and walk away like it was nothing. So, look, I don't know anything about the science. I don't know anything about the stretching. I don't know anything about how to avoid... What a lot of us just regard as inevitable, but I think for every torn ACL, maybe there are other guys who had their knee get hit in a way that may have torn someone else's ACL but doesn't tear theirs. Pain is a big part of life in the National Football League, and I was so encouraged today to see the announcement from the league regarding the formation of a committee with the NFL Players Association to study marijuana as a pain management device. It was funny, the statement from the league never mentions marijuana. It says alternative therapies. But marijuana clearly is one of those alternative therapies. The league's chief medical officer, Alan Sills, confirmed that to Mark Maskey of the Washington Post. We're asking our pain management committee to bring us any and all suggestions we will look at marijuana. 
This is significant because the NFL has been treating its prohibition on marijuana use by players as a pawn in the broader back and forth of collective, collective bargaining. That even though it may be in the league's best interest and the team's best interest to give up the prohibition on marijuana, especially as it relates to medicinal purposes, pain management purposes, hey, we're not giving anything up unless we get something in return, so too bad, NFLPA. It would be great if the two sides could find a way to allow players to use it for pain management reasons. And here's the thing. Even though it wouldn't be permissible for recreational purposes, pretty much every guy on the roster can make the argument that he's in some sort of pain, given the nature of the job. Unless you're a kicker or a punter, and even then, overuse, straining the leg. The issue arises in the states that currently don't recognize legalized marijuana for medicinal or recreational purposes. The states that obviously have it for recreational also have it for medicinal. If you have it for recreational, you're, you're covered. There are several states where the NFL currently has teams located, but there is currently no legalization of marijuana for any purpose. Texas, where you've got two teams, the Cowboys and the Texans. Tennessee, where the Titans reside. Georgia, where the Falcons are. North Carolina, where the Panthers are. Indiana, where the Colts play. And Wisconsin, where the Packers are. And so how do you how do you do that? You say it's okay for these guys to use marijuana, and then local law enforcement decides they're going to bust them? Because in those states, it's not legal yet? And good luck letting the players in the states where it is legal for medicinal purposes to use it and then telling the players in the states where it's not too bad sorry you're just going to have to manage your pain the old-fashioned way with opioids that'd be great for free agency so i'll tell you what if i'm the cowboys texans titans falcons panthers colts packers immediately the lobbying effort to get medicinal marijuana commences or continues because they can't afford to be the cheese that stands alone as it relates to marijuana plenty of other things going on giants started their otas today and they had a media availability and i'm a firm believer that if there is a fair competition at giants otas and training camp the Daniel Jones, who the Giants liked enough to make the sixth overall pick in the draft, could beat out Eli Manning fair and square. But the thing is, Pat Shermer, coach of the team, says there will be no competition. Well, it's hard to beat out Eli Manning if there's no competition. Why shouldn't there be a competition? And what happens if the players realize that Daniel Jones looks better than Eli Manning? Now, look, I think some of the Chiefs players decided two years ago that Patrick Mahomes looked better than Alex Smith, but the Chiefs were a playoff team, and Alex Smith wasn't regarded as a guy who needed to be replaced. That was a luxury pick by the Chiefs when they traded up to get Mahomes with the 10th overall selection in 2017. This was a need pick for the Giants. So shut down any notion of competition, insulate Eli Manning against possibly ending up on the bench, and the Giants go forward until when? Until they decide 
when they're five and four like they did in 2004 to bench the veteran and put the rookie on the field? Why not have a competition? Don't we hear that all the time? It's about competition, 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 except at this position. We have a starting quarterback and the other guys will not be threatening him. I think that if there was an actual competition, maybe Eli Manning would find a way to be even better. Manning says there's no awkwardness in the quarterback's room. It's not there. Don't make something that is not there. It doesn't bother me. It's not about being nervous or worried. I'm treating it the same that it has been the last 15 years. Whoever's in the quarterback room, talk football. If someone is confused about something or not sure about something, we have a great communication system and a relationship. He answers questions to the young quarterbacks. He said, I don't know exactly when you become a mentor, but when you've been in the league longer than any other guy in the room, you should be a mentor in that sense where you know a little bit more. It's not necessarily your job to do it. You are in the quarterback room with all the other quarterbacks and you're talking. Everyone is mentoring everyone. If you aren't in there, then you can't be a mentor or mentored. So, I mean, look, bottom line is Jones has taken over for Manning at some point. Why not have a fair competition? Because maybe that time is now. Eli Manning also said he doesn't know anything about whether or not Peyton could be coming to town as the GM or VP of football operations or whatever the title would be for the New York Jets. Look, I don't know if this goes anywhere. I know there's a rumor in league circles that the Jets are interested. We were guessing today what it would take to get Peyton Manning. I said $20 million a year and 2% of the team, which at $2.9 billion, that's what Forbes has valued the Jets. As, and, and, and who knows? Who knows? It's worth whatever someone will pay for it. But at $2.9 million, that's $29 million on top of, or $2.9 billion, excuse me, slight difference. $2.9 billion for the Jets. That's $29 million in value of 2%. If Peyton Manning would get a slice of the team in addition to $20 million a year. And $20 million a year sounds like a lot, but $20 million a year is middle-of-the-pack quarterback money now for veterans. It's amazing coaches and GMs don't make more. GMs don't make very much. It's it's not worth it for what now look we oh I'd love to make that much money would you you get a ton of scrutiny you have to bust your ass pressurized situation and you get one shot unless you're John Dorsey or Dave Gettleman for the most part you get one shot and what do you get three four years I don't know I don't know what the Jets are going to do Daniel Jeremiah said on an NFL media podcast he hasn't heard from the Jets and that doesn't surprise me. I don't know why his name surfaced so quickly. There's been some speculation that it may have been an agent-driven thing. I don't know that. Basically trying to create demand, trying to maybe get Jeremiah a better deal with NFL Network. Nothing wrong with that. But when Christopher Johnson came out last Wednesday and said that they're looking for a great strategic thinker, not a talent evaluator. I mean, Jeremiah's niche is scouting players. Now, maybe he's also a great strategic thinker and would be the person the Jets are looking for, but I feel like the Jets are aiming higher. I mean, when you hear great strategic thinker, how many guys out there fit that bill? How many great strategic thinkers are there? 
that would be available and interested in coming to work with Adam Gase. See, that's the problem. As long as Gase is there, the universe of guys who would be great strategic thinkers and work well with Gase is one, Peyton Manning. And it may be for the Jets to make Manning an offer he can't refuse. There's a number out there. I always say this about Nick Saban, that there's a number between 10 and 20 million a year where Saban would say, screw it, I'll go back to the NFL. Or if it's not between 10 and 20, it's between 20 and 30. There is surely some amount of money that would reach a magnitude that would cause Peyton Manning to say, I should probably go do this. Whether it's between 15 and 20, 20 and 25, 25 and 30, whether it's 3%, 4%, 5% of the team, if the Jets really want him, there is an amount that they could, in theory, put in front of Peyton, or Peyton Manning and he could say yes. I was impressed to see that Ben Roethlisberger acknowledged in an interview on KDKA that will air in full on Monday evening that he went a little bit too far in criticizing Antonio Brown. Remember, it was that Broncos game. It was one of the games the Steelers lost that they should have won. There was a bad throw by Ben Roethlisberger, interception in the end zone, and he blamed Antonio Brown. And then it became a thing as to whether or not he's got the license to call out players. He says he does. Kevin Colbert, the GM, came out and said came out and said he, that, that Roethlisberger does. The Roethlisberger could even call out Colbert if he wanted to. Antonio Brown wasn't happy with the way it was handled, and that was one of the things that that Brown seized on to get out of Pittsburgh. And he has responded apparently to Roethlisberger's comments with two words on Twitter. Two-Face. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, 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 it ain't ending. My, my only hope is that the Raiders and the Steelers would play this year. That's only going to happen if they end up facing each other in the postseason, which I think is probably unlikely from the Raiders' perspective. But crazier things have happened. All right, before I answer your questions, and actually before I do that, I have to budget my reads today. Here's one. Don't take a chance of being stranded. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and get your battery tested. It's free of charge and one of the many services available. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people will help you find the exact battery for your car or your truck. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. This Kellen Winslow case, I didn't realize, number one, Court TV was still around. Number two, I can't find it on DirecTV. Number three, you can watch Court TV at CourtTV.com. I found that out just as the opening statements in the state of California versus Kellen Winslow II began today. And anytime I have a chance to watch trial work, especially an opening statement, or a closing argument. It's hard for me not to feel at some level. A little flicker. Just a little, just a little. You could still do that. And you know what? After 10 years of doing this, you'd be even better doing that than you ever were when you did it before. In the 18 years you did it. And I watched both opening statements the prosecution went at least an hour at least five different victims 
alleging various types of sexual misconduct against Kellen Winslow II. Three, alleged rape. Two others alleged something less than rape, but still troublesome enough to result in charges that, when they're all stacked together, could put Winslow behind bars for the rest of his life. But... I I don't want to be overly critical because I was, at times, the guy that I saw delivering the opening statement for the prosecution today. And I've got criticisms of both of the lawyers who delivered opening statements. Big words, too many big words. Don't use big words. Any lawyers out there listening to this, if you do trial work, don't use words like methodology. I don't even methodologies. Don't use words like that. You got to know how to talk to people. And see, that's one thing that I've learned 10 years with this microphone in my hand and talking in different contexts. You learn to become such a better communicator. Remember when John Gruden came back to football last year? Now, the coaching itself and the personnel management leave something to be desired. But what a spectacular communicator. Matt Nagy and John Gruden had their introductory press conferences the same day. That did not go well for Nagy. And Nagy ended up winning the division and being the coach of the year. But as it relates to communication, and for lawyers, it's so much more about communication than about substance. For coaches, it's ultimately about substance. It's ultimately about things you can't control. For lawyers, for trial lawyers, it's about communication. It's about taking that set of facts and making it come to life in a way that resonates emotionally with the jury. Whatever side you have, you take it and you find a way to make it resonate. And there's a way to do it. A basic way to do it. Of communication. Of using your voice as an instrument. A lot of the things that I've learned doing this, and things I already knew about, things I actually learned, I went to a 10-day trial training seminar in Chapel North Carolina, at the University of North Carolina in 1996, and I was blown away by the things I learned. Now, it's one thing to learn it, it's another thing to get to the point where you're comfortable doing it. After 10 years, with almost every day some degree of extemporaneous speaking, where, and there goes the advice not to use big words, where you just have to talk. You don't have notes in front of you. You're not bound to anything. You just talk. After 10 years of that, part of me is fascinated by how it would go if I just kind of barnstormed into a case, got up to speed, and helped try the case. I'd have a lot of work to do to get to that point because I'd have to get my license reinstated. I'd have to take a lot of CLE. Who the hell knows at this point I may have to take the bar exam again. But anytime I watch a trial, and it's been a long time since I've watched one because Court TV, which became True TV, it got out of that business of televising trials. I didn't even know there was a mechanism out there to watch anything like this. Every time I get a chance to do it, ooh, I get, I get, I just, did that. Now, see, I don't want to put in the hundred plus hours of prep that go behind each hour of courtroom time. Maybe more than 100 hours of prep. If you have an active caseload as a lawyer, 
you're spending the vast majority of your time working up cases, most of which get settled before you ever step into a courtroom. It's frustrating. And if you're trying to do what's in the best interest of the client, you are actively searching for a solution that gets your client some compensation, especially if it's somebody who lost their job, especially if it's somebody who has a chance to go back to their job. You can't just thumb your nose at every possible offer and push every case to trial. It's good for you. You get to do what you quote-unquote want to do. You hold out the possibility of hitting the jackpot with a runaway jury. Of course, you know, the postscript to most runaway juries, those verdicts always they get reduced on appeal, especially in this climate. Courts have turned far more conservative the redistribution of wealth via the civil justice system, it's not what it once was. See, I'm talking myself out. <laughs> but just like a good... I never did any criminal law, but man, when I see an opening statement in Kellen Winslow's criminal trial, and, and part of it is the confidence you have to have. I talk all the time about football players have to have confidence to the point of delusion. I think to be good in this job or as a lawyer, you have to have confidence to the point of delusion. And I can delude myself into thinking that you could have given me the file last night and I could have done a better opening statement today than the prosecution lawyer did and the defense lawyer, both. I mean, you've got... And maybe they get numb to it. These are sordid, disgusting allegations against Kellen Winslow II. And the prosecution was going through these charges like... He was reading off line items on a tax return. No emotion. He didn't have to yell and scream. But it all seemed so mechanical. See, what you want to do, and I'm sorry that this turned into a, a mini CLE seminar, but I don't get a whole lot of chance to do this. What you need to do, the first chance, and it really starts during dur during jury selection. That that's when you get a chance to introduce yourself to the jury, your client, your cause, and you get them to root for you. Turn on a football game involving two teams from a college conference you know nothing about. You have no allegiance. You're watching a MAC game on a Tuesday night, and there's nothing else on, because trust me, if there was anything else on, all due respect to MAC, I wouldn't be watching. But there's nothing else on. ESPN 6. Toledo versus Ohio University. You know nothing about either school. You have no allegiance to either school. You have no predisposition about either team. You're just going to watch the game. How long until you're rooting for somebody? How long can you sit there and watch the game dispassionately without picking a side? Maybe there'll be... The quarterback for one team makes a great throw. They tell you he's from a town that you're familiar with. Maybe you grew up in the same town. Something is going to break that tie, and you're going to be rooting for somebody. That's what happens in a trial. The judge can say as many times as he or she wants, you must reach no decisions about the evidence or the merits of the case until the full case has been presented to you, and then you retire to your jury chambers to deliver it to a verdict. Fine. You can tell them that all you want. They're still going to do it. They're humans. So this is your opportunity. Even if you don't do it during jury selection, opening statement is your chance. 
And I, I, I kept waiting for something from the prosecution's lawyer. It's something to get me fired up that this guy's a monster, that I'm, I'd be uncomfortable in his presence in this courtroom, even though there's, you know, law enforcement personnel there to protect me. I don't want this guy around me. Ugh, ugh, this is awful. And then after the prosecution went on for an hour or so, they take a 15-minute break, morning recess, whole day set aside for this. I don't know what time limits they agreed to, but usually what happens is each side gets the same amount of time. So whatever the prosecution had, the defense has at least that much. The, the defense took 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes. It was the shortest opening statement that I've seen since Vincent LaGuardia Gambini said to the jury and my cousin Vinny, everything that guy just said is bullshit. Thank you. And of course, the entirety of the opening statement was stricken from the record with the exception of thank you. Five victims, 12 counts, less than 10 minutes. And I was extremely interested in the defense opening statement because I I kind of wondered based upon an item I saw last week from my friend Dan Wetzel at Yahoo that maybe he kind of knew something I didn't that they were going to all of a sudden drop this yeah he did it but it's football's fault defense onto the court and there was nothing in that less than 10 minutes suggesting that Winslow was going to say or Winslow's lawyer is going to take the position, he did it, but he's not legally responsible. So you can be factually guilty, but not legally guilty, and that would be the argument. Factually, this human being did those things, but legally he's not responsible for what he did because of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, because of whatever other condition they could point to, and you put expert witnesses on who say, yes, I... I believe, in exchange for the significant fee that I've received, that that uh, it's plausible. What's what's the standard? You testify to a reasonable degree of scientific certainty. Yes, to a reasonable degree of scientific certainty, I believe that years of playing football and repeated head trauma resulted in this aberrant behavior. You'll find somebody who will say, I guarantee you. It it's It's a sad aspect of the law practice, but there are so many people out there who recognize that as easy money. You can find doctor, physicist, engineer, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever the field, you can find an expert who will give you an opinion that you need. Whatever it is, you need that opinion, you can get it. Because it's easy money. You will always find someone, and a lot of these, look, a lot of these issues are sufficiently subjective. And my guess is that Winslow's lawyers at least explored the possibility, but you know what? You can't designate, you can't diagnose CTE in somebody who's not dead. So they may have looked at it, they may have thought about it as a potential way to deal with this, but they got nowhere. So that was the main thing I was looking for. Any effort to blame football. And it became quickly obvious that the defense of Kellen Winslow, who is on trial essentially for his life, or at least spending the rest of his life in prison, it just, it was like, 
there was nothing there that would make me root for Kellen Winslow. The one thing I remember was the lawyer admitting that Kellen Winslow has repeatedly been unfaithful to his wife. And they weren't affairs. The lawyer said, I wouldn't dignify the term by calling them affairs. They were just sex. Oh, okay, that's going to make me believe the guy's not a rapist. The guy's just engaging in casual, meaningless sex whenever and wherever he can. Well, you know what? Sometimes they consent and sometimes they don't. That's what I'd think. And if the performances I saw today are any indication of what's going to happen, I think he will be convicted. Because I, I just... I, look, maybe I couldn't have, you know, with the benefit of one weekend. I'll t I say a week. I won't do it in a night. In a week. And you give me the file for a weekend. Maybe I wouldn't have done as well as the prosecutor, but I guarantee you. I guarantee you. I could have shown up this morning, and I have that stress dream every once in a while that I get thrust into the middle of a trial, and it's time to go, and I don't know a damn thing about the case. I could have shown up last night, and you could have given me the file, and I would have come up with something more than that less than 10 minutes that I saw today. So I don't know. Maybe the end game here is to set up a, an appeal based on ineffective assistance of counsel because, in my opinion, it was not effective. In my opinion, it was ineffective. And I'm anxious to see how this trial plays out. And you can watch it at CourtTV.com. Proceedings begin tomorrow at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. They'll start calling witnesses, and it will get bored. See, here's the, these cases in California take forever. The prosecution mentioned at one point the evidence you'll hear over the next several weeks. There's got to be a way to move this around more quickly, move these cases along. The jury gets bored to death. Look, and that's a th the one thing that always drove me crazy, and I see these long trials, there's an expectation Especially, and I've been out of it for 10 years. I can imagine it's only worse now than it was 10 years ago. There's an expectation that you're going to cut the fat. You're going to get to what you need to get to. You're not going to spend your time spinning your wheels. You're not going to put in a bunch of evidence you don't need to put in. You're not going to have these long, droning questions and answers that go on all day long, like a podcast that feels like it's never going to end. See? I'm simulating the feeling. Hopefully none of you. I, I mean, I've seen juries falling asleep, and I, you've got to check the boxes. You've got to introduce your evidence. If you don't introduce your evidence, your case gets dismissed or key aspects of it get thrown out. There are certain things that are mechanical when it comes to proving a case in trial, but it still doesn't have to feel like it's mechanical. There can still be something about it that feels human, that feels visceral, that gets the jury to root for you and decide with you. Because what happens is, you get jurors on your side early. The idea is, they load up information, arguments, facts, that they then will go in to the jury room at the appropriate time, and they'll be your advocate. So you want people to be into it, you want people to be entertained, you want people to be paying attention, you want them to be like a big giant sponge, and you're just trying to cram as much water into them as you can, so when they go into the jury room, they're going to be ready to say, oh, no, 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 remember this? Remember they said this? Yeah, that's what happened. And I believe that. I believe that witness. I don't believe the other witness. I believe this witness. Yeah, that's what you want, because you can't do it yourself, obviously. You're loading up the people who are inclined. So you got to get them to root for you early. Then you load them up with the stuff necessary. 
to find in your favor. I pause because every time that synapse in my brain says, I miss this, then another one says, no, you don't. This is still better. What I'm doing now is still better. What I'm doing now is far less stressful. I just can't help but wonder if I had a crack at it one more time, how much better I would feel, how much more confident I would feel, how much easier it would be, how much more enjoyable it would be, because it really is a lot of stress. And it's easy for me to sit here and nitpick, because when you're in the middle of that crucible, it is stressful. You're, you're way, but that's the thing. I think the guy, I didn't get any sense that the lawyer representing Kellen Winslow, it's like a traffic ticket. It just like, the guy is facing life behind bars. Give me something. I mean, if, if this guy's innocent, he's ultimately the victim of a conspiracy that was hatched by the police and the prosecutors to bring together five strangers, all of whom accuse Kellen Winslow of sexual misconduct. So the attempt would be to show how each and every one of the five victims had their story twisted and warped by law enforcement trying to put ideas in their heads trying to skew the facts so it all comes together like a string of popcorn. That the prosecution and law enforcement are trying to string popcorn through five kernels. And what I'm going to do over the course of the next several weeks or several days if I have my way is I'm going to show you how that needle is going everywhere but in those five kernels of corn. I don't know if that's the best simile, metaphor, whatever, but that's the kind of shit you need. And you, you shouldn't say shit, unless you're Vincent LaGuardia Gambini, and only if you're characterizing the other side's opening statement as bullshit. All right, quick reminder, when you get in your car, especially this weekend, I remember when I was a kid, this was one of those big weekends where they would talk about how many people died in automobile accidents. Memorial Day weekend, it's a big car travel weekend, and they always have the numbers on the back end of how many people died nationally I was I was afraid to go anywhere on Memorial Day weekend. But you know what? Back in those days, one of the reasons a lot of people died on Memorial Day weekend, 4th of July, Labor Day, they just jumped in the car and they didn't put on their seatbelts. I can remember the lengths to which my family went. Now, now, think about it. And my family wasn't any different. The lengths to which the family would go to avoid the mild discomfort of wearing a seatbelt. Where, and I remember the early 70s, they started to put the buzzer in there. My dad had a 72 olds, burnt orange with a tan faux leather top or whatever the hell that was. That vinyl, pebbled vinyl crap on top. Like, why not just make the whole car metal? I mean, was it cheaper? It's like, oh, this look, it, and it looks good. It's not burnt orange on the entire car. And, you know, it's cheaper and whatever the hell that stuff is. Let's just get more of it and put it on top of the cars. But it was 72, and that was the first time I ever noticed it. This red bar in the middle and it would light up and it would buzz it was until your seatbelt was was fastened so what did they do they 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 took the seatbelt and they snapped it and they sat on top of it my sister had a Volkswagen and it had the shoulder belt that came down and it had the 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 receptacle that the thing went into all you had to do cuz it was on a flexible arm you just flex it back behind the seat, you buckle it behind the seat, and there you go. I, I don't know when people realized it was a good idea to go ahead and wear the seatbelt. But I mention all that because it's important for you to wear the seatbelt. 
don't kid yourself with all the things you can say oh, i'm not going very far oh it's not comfortable oh it's, it's not going to happen to me there's no good excuse for not buckling up if you used any excuse like that you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death in 2017 more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes so no matter what kind of vehicle you drive your best defense in a crash wear your seatbelt because if you don't you get thrown out of the car and once you're thrown out of the car you may as well be riding a motorcycle right people crash on a motorcycle they're done high-speed collision you don't have that seatbelt to hold you in place especially when that airbag pops out and just all hell breaks loose you're done even if you're in the back seat you need to buckle up if you're riding in a taxi uber lyft whatever buckle up also, cops are on the lookout. They'll give you a ticket. They can spot when you don't have your seatbelt on. So why take that risk? In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. Do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket paid for by NHTSA. All right, let's answer some of your questions. I, I you know, I, it's, I didn't plan to go on a whole thing about seatbelts, but it really is amazing. That I, I, was in, I was in the car with my dad, 1986. Ohio at the time had a seatbelt law. West Virginia did not. We went to a cousin's wedding in Columbus, Ohio. I drove with my dad. I was driving. As we were crossing the Ohio River, when I, we've been in the car for two hours. He's had the seatbelt on the entire time. The entire time. Not a word, not a peep, not a problem. As we are crossing the Ohio River, he takes off the seatbelt. I was like, Dad, what are you doing? We're, 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 we're moving. We're not stopping. Yeah, but I don't have to wear the seatbelt in West Virginia. <laughs> we're going to be home in five minutes. Yeah, but I don't want to wear the seatbelt. So, fortunately, most people have realized that you need to wear your seatbelt. I don't know anybody who doesn't wear a seatbelt. And I remember when I was, when I was like early 80s and I started wearing the seatbelt, like, it was just kind of like, hey, I'm taking a stand here. I'm wearing a seatbelt because people just refuse to wear their seatbelts. Anyway, enough of that. PFTP and Posse, do you carry anything for good luck or have any good luck charms or whatever? You know, my dad was big into the whole superstition thing. I may have told this story before. First day of school, you know, pour the salt into the, into the pocket on the shirt. New car, bag of salt in there. I said, hey, dad, I get pulled everything. I think I got a bag of cocaine in here until they test it and then they realize hey we'll put this on our french fries but I, I don't have anything like that no good luck i don't i don't i i always you know like the things your dad for the most part is into you end up like resisting like this whole superstition thing i'm not in i don't believe in any of that none of it so there's nothing that i use for good luck there's nothing that i carry around in my pocket when we're getting ready to go on tv i did no other than my toupee if the PFTPM podcast makes so little money that it's not worth your time to send the invoice to NBC, why do you even take the time to do the reads? Well, I mean, it's making a little bit of money, but it's not enough to collect on. So we're, we're, we're hoping to build something here. We're starting slowly. But trust me, they're not paying big money for these reads. And I'm putting a lot into these reads. I talked about the damn seatbelts for 15 minutes, people. Dig deep. PFTPM Posse should the Cowboys sign Byron Jones sooner since the salary for cornerbacks uh, hasn't gone up in years relative to the cap and other positions. I don't know what they're going to do with Byron Jones. But Josh Norman at $15 million a year from signing, five-year deal, $15 million a year, that's still the standard for corners three years later. And, and when Fred Smoot comes out and makes the argument last week that 
that Washington should cut Josh Norman because he's not worth the money. I mean, part of the problem is nobody's leapfrogged him. It makes his contract more conspicuous. So I have a feeling Byron Jones is going to be the odd man out in Dallas. I just don't think they're going to be able to afford him. You can't, you can't keep everybody. Dean Osborne, 42. Does Chris Long make the Hall of Fame? He never went to a Pro Bowl. He's got 11 years in the NFL, two-time Super Bowl champion, Walter Payton Man of the Year, but that's not going to get you into the Hall of Fame. He's not, I don't think he's getting into the Hall of Fame. Tyler Fornis is proud that I didn't put the Vikings in the bottom 12. You don't know how close they were, though, Tyler. I mean, you know, I, I, doing that dirty dozen was not easy. I mean, the first five or six were easy, but the second five or six were difficult. And, and it hurt me to put the Browns in there. Initially, I didn't have the Browns in. It hurt me to put them in. But, yeah, the Vikings the Vikings aren't among the bottom 12 franchises. A lot of Vikings fans wanted to see the Packers on the list, but give me a break, folks. They're not down there. They haven't been as good as they could be, but they're not in the bottom 12. Burn Unit has a suggestion for the meet and greet that I wouldn't be able to attend. Do a live podcast recording with Sims and sell tickets in advance. Use the profits for charity. You would know in advance how many would attend. You can get the rest of us to donate to the charity. I'll come if it's in L.A. That's not a bad idea. Live podcast somewhere. But how do you, how do you, I don't even, I don't, here's the thing. I, I, I'm not, this is going to come off as me being lazy, but I'm really not looking for anything else to do right now. I kind of got my days set and I'm very much looking forward to the four week hiatus from PFT live because then I can sleep until 7:30 or eight instead of 5:20. I can do what I did on Saturday. You know, Saturday was such a good day. Saturday, I took my laptop outside. We have a covered porch where the house is like, you know, like it's above, like we have an area where there's house, you know, like it's a natural alcove that leads out to a patio. So you're not in the sun. There's a table there, laptop, table, coffee, and I just worked. And, and I got a little sound system there where I could listen to NPR. I hadn't listened to NPR in years. Listen to NPR for a while. Listen to part of my take because I wanted to hear the James Holzhauer interview. All sorts of stuff on this sound system we have at home where you can listen to music or podcasts or news or whatever. And it was beautiful. Dogs out there with me, kind of moseying around. I'd go get more coffee as needed. Go get rid of the coffee as needed. Cooked a little chicken at lunchtime. Fired up the grill cooked the chicken. It was a great relaxing. I got in the pool at one point, tried to get the dog to get in the pool. She didn't, which I guess is good. I don't want her getting comfortable with the pool. She just barked at me. It was a great, great day. And I got four weeks of that coming up. Well, three, because we're going to go, we're going to go to the beach, but I, 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 you know, I'm looking forward to that. So here's my, here's my point. There's a point here somewhere. I'm being a little selfish. I don't want to take on the time to add another project as we're getting toward the point of the year where life is going to be, you know, not all that bad. Not that it's bad the rest of the year, but the four weeks coming up, beginning late June, I like that. It's like pretzel day. Instead of one day, though, it's 28. And Stanley Hudson likes pretzel day. I got 28 pretzel days coming up. And, and I don't want to... I don't want to complicate one of them with, and, and it would be more than one because you got the stress, the strain, the what the hell am I going to say in front of all these people. It's one thing to sit here and talking at this microphone where there's nobody gawking at me and none of that, what the hell is this guy? No hecklers, none of that other. Yeah, you know, it's just, 
I don't know. I don't, I'd almost rather do it during the season on like a Friday or a Saturday night. Maybe that's better. Because you're kind of already in full go nonstop work mode. I just don't know that it's something I want to jam into the four weeks that, that we that we have off. All right. First, definitely first world problems. Faisal Morales, since Canada just had their long weekend and the USA has theirs coming up this week, what's your favorite long weekend activity? I spent my long weekend working the whole time. Yeah, you know, my favorite long weekend activity, and, and Memorial Day weekend, we will have a major gathering on Sunday night. And we will grill and we will hang out and we will probably drink a little more than we should and there may be cigars at some point. But, you know, I, I just, I like having everybody over at the house on the long weekend. And actually we had Friday night, Friday night. Do we have at least two of the three nights we had family over this past weekend and it was great. But but I I just kind of like, like just existing. It's just nice to have three days where you can exist. Now I'm doing PFT live on Monday radio only, which is far different than having to worry about the unblinking eye of the camera. And, you know, I, I, I could do radio all day long. And not fall asleep at the microphone, unlike some others. But, yeah, I just, I just like, I like to do nothing. Like, just unstructured. What do they call it? Executive time. But actually productive executive time, not tweeting from the commode. Because I was so, Saturday was one of those days. Here's what happened. Let me tell you about my Saturday. I'm really not getting through these, these questions very quickly. But let me tell you about my Saturday. Beyond what I already told you. I, I, I did my thing. I worked, right? I, I, and, and I just felt productive. I got a lot done. And we had good traffic because between Peyton Manning and some of the other stuff that was going on, it was just good traffic day for a Saturday in May. And late in the afternoon, my, my, my wife was at some youth baseball games. And I can't, I just can't do the youth baseball thing. I love my nephews, but I can't go. I, I can't, I don't have the ability to sit there and watch baseball. I physically can't do it. I'm constantly fidgeting. I'm constantly on my phone. It's better to not be there than to be there and completely be disengaged. So you go there and you sit and you wait for for your nephew to come up to bat. And then for the next two hours or however long it is between at bats, I I just can't, I I can't sit still. I'll pace, I'll, I'll mess with the phone, I'll go find somebody to talk to, go get popcorn. I, I just can't sit and watch a baseball game. So anyway. Baseball game winding down. Joe stopped the story. And what we did, what we did, and I hadn't done this in, I've never done it. And I hadn't had these in 30 years. And I'm probably going to get emotional telling the story. My mom used to make hamburgers, you know, in the, the Italian mom way. And there's a lot of people who made them this way. She would add egg, milk, Italian breadcrumbs, onion, chopped onion, salt and pepper. Simple recipe. Completely transforms the hamburger experience into this tiny little meatloaf. And I'd asked my sister for the recipe. So my wife got all the stuff and we started to mix it all up and made the little patties and you see the little onions sticking out of the patties. Like, boy, I hadn't seen that in a long time. And then I took them out to the grill and the moment they hit the grill and then, you know how they say that smells are like one of the most powerful forces of triggering nostalgia. The moment those little bastards hit the grill, I smelled that smell for the first time in 30 years of my mom's hamburgers. And I had a little bit of a, you know, you have a little moment then because she died in 1995. 
and you know i cooked the things and it was just you know we have this outdoor sound system i put on tom jones because she was a big tom jones fan and it's you know it was just it was just it was it was neat it was really really neat and and they were better than i remembered you know usually you do something like that and it's like well you know it's you know yeah it's yeah they were pretty good but you know they were better in 1978 no they were better than i remembered they were so good. I got leftovers I'm going to eat tonight. They were so freaking good. So anyway, that was a good day Saturday. And then we sat outside. Beautiful night. The guys sat outside, and we uh, I put the photo on Twitter. We had a bottle of Cutty Sark. and uh, No, we didn't drink the whole bottle, most of it. And uh, cigars, and not a cloud in the sky, stars everywhere. Sat out there and smoked a cigar and BS, and it was just a good day. All right. What am I even doing here? At the Real Forno, I'm getting married on August 8, 2020. If you happen to be visiting Vikings training camp that weekend, you should come. 8-8-2020. I hope to live that long first. Stephen Wise, 89, inspired by you, Mike. I jettisoned my subscription to DirecTV last week. So far, so good. But if I'm tempted to resubscribe once the NFL season begins, what are the best NFL streaming alternatives currently offered? Hashtag off the grid, sort of. I don't know. I don't know what the best. I mean, I'm sure there are all sorts of... What, there are illegal streaming mechanisms out there. I think DirecTV is the only one that streams the Sunday afternoon games. NBC streams every game that is televised by NBC. NBC Sports Extra, I think, is the name of the app. I should know the name of the app. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not up on all the places where you can go online and, and find the illegal feed. of Because uh, it's never an issue for me. I walk into NBC Studio, I sit down, and all the games are on. Longhorn Justin, I'm sure the PFT PM ad at the start of the podcast plays well, but have you considered changing it so the zombie sound is not the first sound heard? I don't even I don't even listen to it. I, I don't I, I don't even know what that is. Sorry. I never listened to this. Why would I listen to it? I know what I said. I know how it ends. Sean Alvishar, why would Adam Gase publicly complain about Le'Veon Bell's contract? It seems counterintuitive to create disruption with Bell before training camp even starts. Did I miss something today? Did he complain about his contract? Did he? I, 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 may, I may have missed it while I was doing uh, whatever else I was doing. But, I mean, I, I know that, that he thinks, that Gase thinks they paid too much to Le'Veon Bell. But I don't, I don't think that, I haven't seen that, I don't think Gase would actually come out and say it. So, you know, the, the problem is people say things to their friends and their colleagues and you can't trust anyone which is good for my business and then people find out and off you go all right uh john randall 15 josh Rand, john randall sorry john sorry josh josh randall 15 you mentioned someone bet twenty thousand to get twenty dollars in winnings and said you could get better interest at a bank however typically these bets are so the gambler can increase their membership status at the casino with that said what's your surefire bet for this season yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, that's good to know. I don't know what my surefire bet for the season is. Um, I don't know. There is no surefire bet. There are none. I mean, unless you're going to do like one of these, one of these uh, uh, ridiculous, like, like Drew Brees is not going to win the MVP this year. I think, you know, and he's, he's 10 to one to win. So what, one to 10 to not win? Would it be something like that? I mean, if you, hey, I, I'd be, I'd be stunned if Drew Brees is the MVP this year because I think he's starting to show the signs of decline, and I don't think the team is going to rebound well from two straight years of disappointment. Drew Brees has never been the NFL MVP, even at his very best. 
I would bet against Drew Brees winning the MVP. Watch, he's going to be the MVP now. Toddster1224, who are the current most powerful five owners? What about five owners with the least influence? I, You know, again, I don't, I don't look at these until I see them here, so I don't really have a chance to think about it. So that's my excuse for screwing this up. I would say John Mara, Robert Kraft, not in this order, Jerry Jones, and beyond that, I'm, let me let me look at the. I always open the inside cover of the record and fact book because it's got all 32 teams. I'm looking at the AFC East, Kraft. AFC North, maybe Rooney, maybe, maybe Rooney, maybe. South, not really anybody who would be among the most powerful. West, maybe Clark Hunt would be in the conversation. East, I mentioned Jerry Jones, and I mentioned John Mara. North, probably none of the folks who own the the teams of the North. South, I mean, Arthur, wasn't Arthur Blank like on the compensation committee or something? That gives you power. Probably no one from the South currently. West, I, yeah, so so what did I say? I said Kraft, Rooney, Kraft, Rooney, Hunt, Mara, Jones, probably those five, just seat of the pants. I don't know, 40, Frank Chabawi, is Washington where players go to end their careers, they're making it look like it. Well, I mean, I, I Look, it's it's a fluke thing that happened to Reuben Foster. It could happen anywhere, but it just feels like Washington is is uh, not lucky when it comes to these injury situations. Foxy Winter 119, do you think the league might have an opportunity to affect positive change for once regarding marijuana? In a weird way, I could see the news that the NFL lets up on it, leading to decriminalization in states with teams, economic reasons, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. We talked earlier about the states where... It has yet to be legalized for medicinal purposes. I think that if the NFL decides to go this route with marijuana being permitted for players to use to manage pain, then these other states had better move quickly to allow marijuana to be used for medicinal purposes. Paul PJ5, is Sims still alive after you killed him in today's draft? I haven't checked lately. I think he's surviving. He's he's walking with a limp because he did have my foot up his butt on today's draft today he was so bad in today's draft and and you know i can tell because he just says i won the draft he doesn't give me any reasoning he started with roger staubach most memorable post playing careers other than announcers or coaches and he started with roger staubach because he made a lot of money in real estate what's memorable about that i didn't even know what the guy did at the Real Forno, what's your favorite final episode of a series you watched? The Office. Because The Office gradually became extremely disappointing. And so the bar was low. And it was even lower because the Seinfeld finale was so bad. And the last few episodes of Seinfeld were not very good. That last season was... There were moments, but it was for the most part... So between The Office deteriorating over a several year period... And really it started after Jim and Pam had the baby... And then it accelerated after Steve Carell left the show. I expected nothing from the Office finale. I mean, I I was watching The Office that last season just because I felt like I needed to keep watching it. I had lost interest in it, but I've got all these years invested. I need to keep watching. And I had the DVDs for the first three or four seasons because I didn't really discover it until I think somewhere in season two. I think the episode where 
Todd Packer pooped on Michael's rug was the first one I really watched. And then it's like, I love this show. Where have I been? What, what the hell? Why haven't I been watching this show? But uh, I, I asked myself the last season, why am I watching this show? But the, the finale, it made it even better. I do that with The Walking Dead, too. I don't watch that anymore. Like, I watched that for I don't know how many seasons. And I got to a point after, like, three or four seasons where it's like, I really don't enjoy this anymore. But I feel like I have to keep watching it because I've been watching it from the moment it debuted. And I eventually got to a point where it's like, I don't know what the hell's going on. They had like five different stories all crammed together, and they had these people and these people, and I don't know. And who's this Negan guy? I, I just, uh, that was it for me, and I don't miss it. I can remember, I think it was maybe in the second season, I can remember episodes of The Walking Dead that were so intense that I'd have them DVR'd, and I'd watch them when I got back from New York because they, they always, the, the, the first half of the season would be during football season. I can remember not fast-forwarding through the commercials because I needed a break. That's how intense it was. And and some of the, the gore and the violence is so over the top. If it was a movie, it would be NC-17. I don't know how they get away with having that on TV. So I, I don't miss being that disturbed. There's something disturbing about that show that, that uh, you know, real life is disturbing enough the past couple of years without The Walking Dead to ratchet it up a few notches. All right, what else do we have? Manual Focus 1, in the past, Zeke has spoken about his sentiment about college bowl games, how much the camaraderie is there. Does that factor into the mindset about a team-friendly deal with Dallas? Does today's incident negate all that anyway? Yeah, I, I, look, there was an issue where he was, he was cuffed, but he's not charged. He's accused of shoving a security guard. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but the problem is he's already been suspended by the league for a personal conduct policy violation, so they potentially could try to do something with that even if he's not arrested or charged. And, and I, I don't know why he's not clamoring for a new contract. I think he should hold out and he should say, pay me. And I, I don't, I don't know, you know, these guys have so much confidence in their abilities, but, but you know, they, they don't want to let the team find out what life is like without them, because maybe the team will find out that we can survive without them on tour forever. Considering that the NFL has it out for Zeke, do you expect another eight game ban? I, I don't, I think that the NFL and this is one of the problems they're having with Tyreek Hill. The NFL is trying to evolve away from throwing the book at players who aren't arrested or charged. And, and I think that's caused this, this awkwardness that we saw with Kareem Hunt, where the league didn't do anything, hadn't taken any action, hadn't spoken to him. I think they're trying to find a middle ground, and they're not being very successful because they created this mess. When they decided that they were going to supplement the criminal justice system when they decided they were going to investigations of guys who ultimately were not charged, arrested, or exonerated, or whatever, it, it just it, it created a mess because I think it's very difficult to get to the truth, especially if you have witnesses who choose not to cooperate. Zeke ended up being suspended six games because he had a very motivated alleged victim who was willing to give six interviews. Some of these other guys who are facing these allegations, if the people aren't going to cooperate, what do you do? How do you ever find out whether or not there's enough evidence to even begin to prove a case? Mike likes dirt. Which life change would you rather make? Move permanently to Connecticut or only eat veggie burgers for the rest of your life? Look, it's a no-brainer. Give me the veggie burgers. They've got these companies now that make the plant-based burger, and apparently they're perfecting the craft, so I would... I would roll the dice with the veggie burger. I ain't moving. 
Pembroke Raider, what's your win projection for the Raiders this year? Over under is seven and a half. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. It's too early. Eight and eight. I don't know. I'd be more inclined to go under seven and a half though. I I, I just feel like there's a I, this last year in Oakland. I, Derek Carr dealing with the Chiefs and the Chargers and the Broncos. I think are going to be better. I'd probably go under. Sorry. Bored to death. What events am I looking forward to seeing in the Panthers all or nothing from the 2018 season? I mean, I hope they give us a candid look at the institutional confusion regarding what the hell was wrong with Cam Newton's shoulder. Because apparently they didn't know. And and I'd really like a candid look at how the team dealt with that. They were 6-2. and two. They got blown off the field by the Steelers on a Thursday night, and the wheels came off. And I hope that that comes across unvarnished. The kind of angst, anxiety, stress that a team goes through during that type of adversity, especially when you throw on top of it Cam Newton's shoulder issues. All right, you know what? I should wrap this up. We've been going, flown through. This hour flies by. It flies by. I'm scrolling through here to find one more. Let's find one more. Valley Man 12, if NBC ever got the NFL draft broadcasting rights, would that make you attend the draft to cover it for them? I have a feeling if NFL ever gave NBC the right to broadcast the draft, that I'd, I'd like to think I'd be included in the coverage. I mean, it's, it's not like I would be forced to go. I mean, I, look... It's what we do. If we're covering it, I'd be there. If I get the choice, I stay home. All right, what else do we have? Nick Estrom, for a Bill Belichick interview on the PFTPM podcast, instead of the typical standard football interview, how about a shoot-the-shit talk about his history, special moments within the game, and his career type of interview? Oh, I would love to do it. Now, first of all, I'd be scared to death of the guy. That's the one. Sims and I were talking last week about like who would really freak us out. And no player would like freak me out if I met him, but Belichick would freak me out. No coach, no owner, no GM would freak me out, but Belichick would freak me out. I'd be like Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney. So I don't know that anybody wants that. I got a ton of respect for Belichick. I mean, th- there are certain aspects of his personality that I find personally distasteful as it relates to the way he treats the media. And, you know, I, I say all the time, if-, if you don't like having to answer questions, then go coach high school lacrosse and no one will ask you any questions and you will be paid accordingly. But uh, I-, I respect what he's done as a coach. I think he's the greatest coach in the history of football and possibly in the, organi- in the history of organized sports. And it would be great. To, to go down the rabbit hole about his personal history, get him talking about his dad and what he learned from his dad watching film at the Naval Academy and, you know, arcane football concepts. I think it would be great. It's just never going to happen. I accept the fact that it's never going to happen. All right, here's what's going to happen. We're wrapping up today's PFT PM. Tomorrow, PFT Live, probably another PFT PM. You know, Sims is curtailed to two unbuttons per week. Should I curtail to two PFT PMs per week? I'm trying to still do at least three. I, and let me tell you, I really enjoyed not doing one Friday. But here's the, here, here's the thing. Do you guys experience this? Like, I thrive on always having something to do. And if I have an afternoon like that where I can go take a nap and I don't have... And today I didn't take a nap, so I'm going to be dead to the world tonight. But I, uh, I took a nap for about an hour and a half and I could not get up. I could not I could not pry myself out of bed because I didn't have anything to do. 
So maybe I should just do the podcast every day. Then I'll end up not taking long naps. And maybe I, you know, when you're only sleeping five hours during the normal sleep window, you probably should take an hour and a half nap. I, this is probably all going to come back and get me at some point in a very, in, in, now I got the four weeks coming up. I, hopefully that's when all sleep debts will be paid. I hope I can do that. But, but I feel like this lifestyle, as I get a little bit older and a little bit older, and I, I can, I can, I, I'm going to be 54 next month. I can deal with that. But at some point, you, you, you can't sleep five hours a night and then pick up an hour nap because sometimes you don't get the full hour. Sometimes you wake up seven times in the hour. So anyway, I don't know what my point was. Thank you for listening. I'll just say that. And when in doubt, thank you for listening. And uh, let's do it again tomorrow. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.